Hello everyone and welcome back to the fourth, fourth part now I think of the Skywalker rankings. As I mentioned at the end of the last episode, I made the decision to essentially cut this episode in half. So this would have been the midpoint in episode three, but this is now episode four. So we're just going to go straight into it with me and Ryan. And yeah, I hope you guys enjoy the episode. We've we've actually spent a lot of time there talking about A New Hope, but everything there is valuable and everything there is valid, definitely. And that's why I probably hold it in similar esteem to Rogue One, as does Ryan. And in the same way, that it's, it's a cut above the a cut above the rest. But then the third film in this place of joint third is actually a fellow film in the original trilogy, and it is overall number episodes. Episode 6, it is Return of the Jedi. What to say about it? Again, when exactly. You, when you have A New Hope, the perfect start to the trilogy, Return of the Jedi was the perfect end. It really was. You could see why so many people were upset with the way the sequel trilogy turned out, because it kind of went back on the ending of Return of the Jedi. And the ending was just so perfect. You can't help but understand why people would be annoyed at the way the sequels were handled in terms of how the trilogy, the original trilogy ended. And that's, I, I think that that is a very good, actually, weirdly, a, a place to, a very good place to start. Let, let's go right to the end and let's focus on that ending. So what do we have? We have the story of... We have the story. What, what into essentially, this entire film, this entire film is an ending. This entire film is an ending to the original trilogy that George Lucas has put together over the space of six years. It's culminating the stories of Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo. Got even Ben Kenobi and Yoda. Now that they're for, now that they're um, Force Ghosts. Well, obviously Yoda eventually in this film um but it's it's just the how iconically george lucas ties everything together and as we've especially seen with game of thrones i think game of thrones is a very unfortunate classic example of where you take a tv series held in such high esteem and then it's run into the ground because of the way it ended. I mean, I'll admit, I haven't seen Game of Thrones, but I, I have the box set sitting over there. In fact, I'm actually looking at it right now. But I can't work myself up to watch it because I know that when it comes round to the 7th slash 8th season, it's going to start going downhill and I'm going to be really disappointed with what I see. I mean, I'll probably have my obviously have my own opinion on it, but the general consensus was that it wasn't very good. And it's so hard. It's so hard to make an ending. Sim- in a simple manner, there are only two endings you can make. You have the cliffhanger, which is what Empire Strikes Back was, essentially. And then you have the conclusion, which is something definitive and something that draws everything together. And of course you can leave one or two loose ends in there, but it's something that's leaving far more answers than questions. 
And that is what Return of the Jedi did perfectly. And what, ultimately, the original trilogy, and this will lead us into the ending, this film is concluding the journey of Luke Skywalker and his progression to the status of a Jedi Knight. Yeah, it's, uh, like you said, a perfect perfect way to end his sort of story arc, really, in that sense. Uh, you see him go from farm boy on Tatooine to, obviously, a self-proclaimed Jedi Knight at the end. And I think what makes Luke such an interesting character, we see it in Return of the Jedi as well, how... He's our main protagonist. You know, he's our hero. We follow him all the way through. Even though he's now a Jedi, he's still not that powerful when you think about it. You know, he he didn't he didn't defeat the big bad guy at the end. Like you would everyone would expect to happen as it goes on. I think that's what I liked about Return of the Jedi, how he did it differently. How your main kind of fan favourite this been on this journey with over the six years it wasn't actually him who defeated the emperor and i exactly this is and but but this is that was something very clever that was placed there i think that ultimately even though we are following this journey of luke skywalker what I think is really clever, and that obviously George Lucas blew up in the prequels, and what came to even more fruition in the sequels, when it was renamed the Skywalker Saga, the Skywalker is not Luke. The Skywalker is the Skywalker that still remains in Darth Vader. Because even though... Luke, I suppose, you know, fought the Empire, etc. And he dueled with his father in in the in the second film in Empire Strikes Back. The one who brought balance to the force was not Luke. It was Vader. Vader was the one who killed Palpatine and redeemed himself and turned back to the light. The only the only sort of way that Luke... The only thing that Luke did was suppress Vader by cutting off his hands and kicking him down the stairs in just a sort of like a fit of pure anger. And like Kylo Ren, there wasn't a lot of grace and a lot of control to his lightsaber skills. But it was it was interesting seeing that, that little character arc of Luke's sort of flare-up. Yeah, it was... That's, I think, one thing that so many people love about Return of the Jedi is how kind of how different it was. And I don't know. I don't know what people were expecting of it back in 1983. But how, like we say, Luke didn't defeat the Emperor. He didn't bring balance to the Force. He turned his father back to the light, which, in a sense, you, you could say ultimately saved the galaxy. But at the end of the day, it was Anakin. You know, Anakin was the Jedi that returned. You know, hence the name of the film. That's the... Just... It was different. That's what you can expect. It's not a kind of generic... 
conclusion to a story is just thrown completely out in a different direction where you have your hero who's not exactly that strong. He just let his anger get the better of him. And that's ultimately how he got the better of his father. Mm-hmm. You have a big empire, army of stormtroopers. They get defeated by three foot tall teddy bears. <laughs> that's completely thrown again in a different direction. They were they were so lovable though and cute the Ewoks. Probably a less popular direction because some people don't like Ewoks, but I think they're just they're sick. Oh, I love Ewoks. It was just that's what I that's what I love about it. It just wasn't your generic conclusion. Completely different. different because story. it it wasn't like it wasn't like the Force Awakens, where with the Force Awakens it was. It was sort of building that Finn was going to be this hero, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Ray was like, "Nah, nah, fucker," and just pulls the lightsaber off him, um, and then all of a sudden, Ray is is Ray is the Jedi, and it was just a bit anticlimactic. What was in what was in what made Vader different is that we knew Vader had the powers, and we knew Vader had Force powers, and Empire. Empire set him up where where he had these visions where he wanted where he was trying to speak to Luke at the end of Empire. He had these visions of these these visions of Luke, you know, come back to me, you know, we can, you know, rule the galaxy or whatever else. But ultimately Vader wanted his son back. And it was his desperation to because he, I think in I think in Return of the Jedi I think Vader knew one way or another he was going to die. He was either going to die at the hands of the Empire because the Emperor was Emperor was going to be just nah you haven't really done anything for me and just kill him off with a bit of lightning like. But I but I or he was he was gonna Luke was gonna sort of succumb to the darkness within him and basically strike him down and and do everything that Ben and Yoda taught him. But we had these little snippets where I think Vader wanted to redeem himself and redeem his reputation in his family, i.e. Luke and Leia's light. And what I especially think was so interesting about that ending is that I think whatever way you want to argue it, Vader had to be the one to kill the Emperor. He had to be. It wouldn't have been anywhere near as effective, and it wouldn't have... And I don't think the film would have been held in the same esteem if Luke had done it, because it would have been the stereotypical goody beats baddie, but in but it's the... the bad turns to the good, and then the good defeats... The, and the new good together defeat the bad that make it so interesting. I think it's... It was just a very, very powerfully done conclusion to Darth Vader's story arc. Yeah, definitely. It was, you know, stereotypical, good defeats bad, <coughs> Rise of Skywalker, <coughs> but... Mm, that was, yeah, that, that wasn't very original, was it? Yeah, but really you have, like you said, I think Vader knew what his fate would be, you know, ultimately... He would either redeem himself and defeat the Emperor or die trying. Mm-hmm. Or he would 
if they were successful in turning Luke, you'd have been killed off because rule of two. So either way, you could hear it in his voice when he said, it's too late for me, son. Mm. You, you could tell, really, he wanted to kind of turn back, but he was too far gone. He, he was too far gone, and I and I think he knew that if he was going to turn back, like he basically kind of did, he would still have to sacrifice himself because he could never be, he could never be sort of alive and celebrated because of all the heinous things he'd done up to this point. You have to say, you know, even if he did redeem himself, you know, killed the emperor, defeated the empire, survived. I don't know. I don't see how he could have gone back to, you know, kind of live in on the light side because, of you know, he, he did, as a Jedi, obviously he did some great things, but what he did for 20-odd years, ruling under the ruling the galaxy under the Emperor, there was no coming back from it. It was a perfect kind of... It was a perfect sacrifice. He made he made too many mistakes, and I, what I think is especially interesting about Return of the Jedi is, of course, in the grand scheme of the prequels, if you're looking at Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, Return of the Jedi works as a perfect conclusion, but then what makes it even more special and memorable now is since the inclusion of the prequels of that build-up of Attack of the Clones, of the Phantom Menace Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, where it's really built up and we see Anakin's fall to the dark side, and we see him become Darth Vader, and we see how he was seduced by the Emperor and everything else. He... Him killing the Emperor and getting getting back on the Emperor for all those years of manipulation but also redeeming himself and fulfilling the prophecy of being the chosen one. Because that's the thing, and you, Obi-Wan bless him, couldn't help it because he just lost that brotherly figure when he was there crying when he was, you know, getting set fire to in the lava. You know, you were the chosen one. You were meant to destroy the Sith, not join them. Well, it never said that he wouldn't join the Sith. It just said he would just... And, and, he, and he never, you know, didn't destroy them because he did destroy them. He joined the Sith in the process, but he did eventually destroy them. And in the grand scheme of how the Jedi see balance, brought balance to the Force. Yeah, he did. He was the chosen one. He brought balance. Don't matter how he did it, because he did bring balance. And if anything, the the either prequels, even though we can't generally hold them in as much high esteem as the original trilogy. The prequels really added that layer of substance that makes the originals even more fulfilling to watch because we have all these different plot lines that we can read into and all those different origin stories that were set out in the prequels and then were later sort of finalised in the sequel... Tr- in the... Uh, oh, good, good God, no, I can't. <laughs> the original trilogy. But, um... But that's what I want to get on to next. That the reason why, and, and especially why I hold the Return of the Jedi in a such high esteem in, the, in a similar light, 
is because, as I, as we've talked about with Rise of Skywalker, Rise of Skywalker was an absolute mess from start to finish. It was an okay film, but it should not have been a Star Wars film. A Star Wars film we should expect so much more from. And it had such a messy production where J.J. Abrams sort of had to sort of, you know, um, bin off all the ideas from Rian Johnson and then reintroduced all of his ideas from episode 7. And it just was so haphazard and so counterproductive to what I think could have been done with it to make it a little bit better than it was. But you can't say the same for The Return of the Jedi. You had Kasten and Lucas writing the screenplay in the same way that... Caston wrote the screenplay for Empire. Obviously, that one was written by Lee Brackett, but, you know, Caston was still there. And also in the same way that, you know, you, you had Lucas sort of in a pivotal role throughout all three, overseeing all three, because it was his baby. Star Wars was still his baby. And unfortunately, with the sequels, Star Wars became Disney's baby. And... And but with but with this original trilogy, there was no haphazard plot lines. It was a new hope, then it was Empire, and then it led directly into Return of the Jedi. It was one big continuation that culminated in Return of the Jedi, a film that brought everything together. Exactly the the plot lines I think. In Return of the Jedi were just perfect because you have there, there was different plot lines. You have the Rebel Alliance, kind of. I know they were linked, but they were kind of doing their own thing on Endor, and with the battle, the fight scene with the Ewoks and the Stormtroopers, and then you have kind of the other plot line, which was obviously Luke Skywalker, his journey. What he, the truth he found out about Vader and the final showdown with the Emperor. I think the plot lines kind of complement each other just, you know, perfectly. The way they complement each other, kind of slipped in, they linked. You know, Vader defeating the Emperor couldn't have been more fitting after watching the prequels because you see that Palpatine ruined his life. Mm-hmm. It was just a perfect ending on that story. Obviously, there's no point watching an entire trilogy if the good guys are just going to lose everything at the end. No. So it was, it was nice to see, nice to see him get that victory that they fought for, considering they were obviously the underdogs throughout the entire trilogy. I just think it was, it wasn't messy. No mess. It was like a new hope, pretty simple to follow. You know, it started off brilliantly. You go through the middle section where Luke returns to Dagobah. You have the plan with the Rebel Alliance, what they're going to do next. And then obviously, as it goes on, you have your final showdowns 
was it, it's diffi- it is a difficult one to explain because there's so much you could say about it there's so much you so much you can say and and one scene that I particularly loved and I'm particularly fond of is right in the sort of last frames where you see Luke sort of look over and then one by one you've got the force ghost of his father which was a lovely touch to show in spirit in in the in the spirit realm of the force Darth Vader is recognized as Anakin not Darth Vader and you see Yoda and you see Ben Kenobi all standing with one another you know smiling and approving and happy for what Luke has done and Luke smiles back and then the music comes in and the credits roll and it's it's just an absolutely perfect ending. You see, okay, so sure, they um they decided to build a second Death Star. But but the um but but that didn't really make much of a difference because they they still defeated the second Death Star. And then you had this montage of everyone celebrating throughout the galaxy. You had obviously Leia and Han and everyone and Lando and everyone hugging together. And you could see the character development, especially from Lando, that he had turned from this person who was willing to give up his friends to the Empire to someone who really cared for them and fought for the greater good, much like Han Solo did. And it just brought all of those elements together and it just ended absolutely perfectly. And it was the perfect ending for those three films. And then an even more perfect ending for the six films. Yeah. My favourite part, actually, of the ending, just before the Ewok celebration, was Vader's funeral. Yeah. The most, one of the most evil men in the galaxy. And the only person there is his son. And I think that's perfect because at the end of the day, Luke was the only one who knew the Vader had turned, turned back to the light. And I thought that was just so iconic and actually quite emotional because even though he, he didn't know the Vader was his father for long, but as soon as he knew, his first instinct was to save his father. That was his first instinct. And I thought that was obviously as you see Luke's development go on, I think that's the perfect way to end it for Luke, really. I, You know, I, I definitely agree. And that's... Uh... You have... When he, when he added all the other the prequel planets into it, what I liked, actually, they um, when they went to Coruscant, you could see him pulling a statue of Palpatine down. Mm-hmm. And I just love that, the kind of image, the... He's finally fallen. Mm. While we're on the topic of Palpatine, I big the McDermott up a lot talking about the, his performances in the prequels. But oh, go for it! Come on, this is really he made. Obviously, he made that brief appearance as a hologram in Empire, but this was his his big appearance, and he he just took it and made it his own. What I think was so clever about the palp with, with Palpatine as well, is that whereas with the Last Jedi, and this is what partly made the Last Jedi so shit, was that they are this character of Snoke, and Snoke had this potential, 
But Palpatine had this potential, but it was... It was very limited because Darth Vader was doing all the heavy work and we had already seen that. And Palpatine didn't need to have an overly prominent role. And he didn't. And the role that Palpatine had and the part that he played in the greater plot at stake was largely sufficient for his character. Yeah. I think he was... You know, he was used you know, the perfect amount to put it nice and easily, really. You know, you kept a mystery for the majority of it. And then when you finally meet him, I think it does, it meets all expectations. It's just, I don't know what it is about the Emperor that makes him one of my favourite characters. It's just, there's presence. Is you could is You could sense the evil in him. How he's he's the main villain in Star Wars. Vader is a victim, not a villain. The main big bad guy is the Emperor. And and you really saw that you really saw that relationship come to a head in you, especially in that scene where where um the Emperor is greeted by Darth Vader, how Darth Vader is basically snapping at everyone and is very very tense and there's this great sense of unease that he realises that the Emperor is superior. And unlike sort of... Unlike in the way that Tarkin did, where sort of... Where Vader sort of wasn't scared, you know, like, all right, you know, chill out. It was... With Palpatine, it was very different. There was a fear there. With Tarkin, it was just a simple disagreement. With Palpatine, there was this fear that he knew that the Emperor was more powerful than him... And that he had to do everything that he had, that he had told him to do. And he'd been fearing this man for over twenty years. That's the power of the, what the emperor had. Just one of the most confident, you know, baddest guys you can imagine, doing all his duty across the galaxy. He was still only a pawn. On Palpatine's chessboard. And that's what, as I said, that's why the prequels are so important in adding substance to not just the original trilogy, but this film specifically. And that really, and I think Revenge of the Sith really lamented the relationship that Anakin and Palpatine have with one another. And we'll obviously go on to talk about that um, in a future episode, but the, the dynamic of the when Anakin falls to the dark side and he tells him he'll do whatever it takes, including going, including literally going to the Jedi Temple and killing all of the infant Jedi, wiping out the Jedi Order to preserve the legacy of the Sith and make the Sith thrive. Literally something as sadistic and sickening as that, the length that Anakin was prepared to go to to save his beloved... Then his beloved dying, as Palpatine knew she would, obviously, as Palpatine knew she couldn't be saved, but he just needed a pawn. Anakin was at a point of no return from then on. And that moment, that final moment of Revenge of the Sith, when they are looking to they are looking at one another and then looking at the Death Star being constructed, Anakin realizes, or as as he becomes Darth Vader, 
that Palpatine is the only sort of person he has left in his life. And he has to hold him with respect and he's trying to hold on to him. And that's what I think he's doing in Return of the Jedi, as was shown by Revenge of the Sith. I think what you can see from Vader's journey is how I think I think he regretted every single moment. Because he was with obviously we'll go more into that scene when we get to episode three, but he was, you know, he was crying when he walked into the room with the kids. Mm-hmm. And he ignited his favor. He did it all out of love because he wanted to save the love of his life. And then Palpatine, knowing full well that she couldn't be saved, you know, the manipulation he used on Anakin to turn him into Vader, and then he's got the fucking nerve to laugh. That just shows the kind of person Palpatine is and his power. And you see just how much of a victim the Vader actually is. One of the more, probably one of the most misunderstood characters ever. And I and I think I think it's that moment I think that really propelled propelled when when it finally sets in that that when that that moment of Palpatine watching. Vader and Luke battle is like Palpatine is like what Anakin experienced when Palpatine was watching him and Dooku battle that the emperor with Luke is now trialing a new apprentice as as you've talked about with a new hope you know he he had all his limbs burned off in the lava well Vader's serving a limited purpose to him now he needs he needs someone new to take over the mantle of the Sith especially as as Palpatine is getting older and he sees that in Anakin's son, Luke. And it's that moment where Darth Vader's um, sort of breathing apparatus has been broken. And his hand has been chopped off. And the Emperor's laughing and he's and he's cheering and he's asking Luke to do it. I think there is a real sense of pathos there. As you, as you said, it's heartbreaking. That where I think Darth Vader finally comes to the realisation of that... Palpatine, this person that never that he always respected and held it in a higher esteem than anyone else that Anakin or Vader has ever known, is now just ca- casually tossing him aside in the pursuit of someone younger and better for his demands. And I think that's what propels Vader to ultimately do the right thing and kill Palpatine. Exactly. He must have felt betrayed, really. That's, I think that's the only way you can describe it. I think... what I another, Something about Return of the Jedi as well that I actually liked, sticking on, kind of on the topic of the villains, but obviously going away a bit from Vader and Palpatine... Obviously, they are your main, your main guys, the main guys to focus on. But what I liked it was at the very start of Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Jabba. Yes, uh, we haven't even, we haven't even got into this yet. Completely different story, different motivations. Just a gangster. You know, in a way, like Palpatine, power wanting his own power. 
obviously he was a very powerful gangster on Tatooine, but I don't know, it was something about Jabba the it was you feared him as well, really. Because you knew how powerful he was and what he could do. But that was such a great scene, wasn't it? On the um on the sand crawler where Leia is, Leia is forced to watch as Han Solo is about to be killed alongside Luke, etc. And then all of a sudden, Luke starts nodding his head. And we hear that music creeping in. And then all of a sudden, R2-D2 launches this lightsaber. Luke grabs it and just starts um, taking out everyone. And that iconic Star Wars theme returns. And we're back in the adventure. We're back in the adventure. We're back on familiar ground. There's sort of that... That sort of that shaky start. That hang on a minute, this film isn't going back to where we, where we um, where we sort of um thought it was going to go to, you know. It's let let's get back to that familiar place and make the make the audience comfortable again. And that's also what I liked at the start that Leia rescued Han Solo, basically right at the beginning. It didn't make a big deal out of it. Of course, it was um, a focal point of The Empire Strikes Back. But they didn't make a big deal out of it because they didn't need to make a big deal out of it. This film was just on a machine of closing plot lines in the best way. One after the other, one after the other, one after the other. And it started with Han Solo in Carbonite. And then it concluded in the restoration of Order to the Galaxy... And the re-establishment of the Jedi Order. It was just, from start to finish, it was this great big conclusion. This adventure that we were taken on, tying all these loose ends together, summarising the relationships of characters, perfecting all those little character arcs that we weren't quite sure about. And it just made the film feel really complete. Yeah. Definitely. I think um, the way it started, I think, was if you're watching it for the first time, it's quite bizarre because mm. of how Empire ended. They're just starting in a palace with a crime lord just kind of doing his own thing. You know, he's got no reason to quarrel with our main heroes, apart from the fact that Han Solo owed him money. So I think it was a, in a way, it was a strange place to start, but it worked really well. Because when he, obviously, like you said, with the sail barges and then that fight, and when they kill Jabba, I think that's when the story, the final ending is kick-starting. And that's where it's all going to start coming together. All of these plot lines from all, different, all three different films are all going to come in finally and going to meet the same end. It was it was bringing, bringing all of these points together, and having them converge on a centralized location, that made the audience feel completely comfortable and at ease every single step of the way, and even when there were all these different plots going on, and all these different conclusions happening, because this Star Wars because Star Wars at this point. After audience didn't quite know what to expect with, with the first one, and it blew them away. They knew what they were going into with Empire Strikes Back, and it blew them away. They knew without question 
what what sort of treats we were going to be in for with Return of the Jedi. And it was that sense of just bringing everything together, bringing all these characters together in a really relatable, very easy-to-follow manner that I think helped it be the conclusive powerhouse that it is known for today. Yeah. One of the best scenes, again, is, I think, pretty close to the middle of the film, mm-hmm. was between Luke and Leia. It was just them two, and they had that conversation, and Luke reveals that Vader is his father, Leia is his sister, and that, I think, is a perfect scene. You know, no kind of action, no quick-paced, you know, no villains. No audience, just those two. Two characters talking about something, you know, a major, major plot point. The John Williams score behind it. You know, I can't fault it. Because amidst... It was really needed. Amidst everything else going on, it was so nice, and, and especially considering it was sort of like a nice little filler like the calm before the storm of the raid on the uh, the final death star and the battle that luke had afterwards it was this nice little interlude between luke and leia of just those two just basically putting an issue to bed that had obviously brimming, been brimming over their minds for a long time because neither neither of them live with their real family they didn't know who their parents were and they needed to know. And Luke had closure in that way and it was only fair that and it was only fair that that Leia had that closure too. And he had to be the person to share it with her. And as you said, there was there was no audience, no big battle scene. It's really just very exclusive, intimate moment between these two characters discussing and revealing their family connection to one another. Yeah, and I think it was... I love how it went in that direction because I think a lot of people at first would think the the main protagonist stereotypically ends up with the female the they save the damsel in distress, as if you can even call Leia that, because of how, how strong she is. Mm-hmm. But I like the the family connection because when they say Skywalker saga, it is it's about this one family that's always caused problems in the galaxy. And I think when you watch it, that scene, like you say, it's important kind of calm taking the foot off the pedal a bit just slow down have a breather and when you see how important it is for the first time you just realize you know the importance of the connection between the characters Hmm. obviously you know when you've watched it over and over and you can start to see jokes in there like when leia says i've always known yet she still necked him the last film obviously yeah, a couple of times you can look back at that and laugh at it I think what the fuck but in general first you know initial reaction you 
you've got to say what a perfect scene it is. Oh, it was there, and there are so many. There are so many perfect scenes in this film, and another, another, another sort of very intimate scene like that is towards the start again after after Lucas left Tatooine, and he's returned to returned to um, Dagobah, and Yoda has been put to rest, and he has that sort of interaction with Obi Wan Kenobi where Luke expresses his frustration, where they sort of settle. The revelations of Darth Vader being Luke's father. But again, like in all of his interactions with Obi-Wan, with um, Darth Vader, Obi-Wan's very reserved. And Alec Guinness is very calm. He's very explanatory here. And he's just taking him through everything bit by bit. Because he appreciates the fragility of Luke in this moment. And he realises that what Luke ultimately needs in a time like this, is a friend. Someone yeah. to fall on to. Now, the, now that Luke knows the truth, and he knows everything, he did need that kind of confirmation from Obi-Wan, really, to kind of fill in the rest of the story that Yoda didn't tell him. Because all Yoda said was Vader was his father. All he did was confirm that, but then Obi-Wan is there to fill in any, you know, any other unanswered questions mm. about it all. And that is what he needed at the time. Because, you know, he's he's just found out terrible news. His father's evil. He's just lost another mentor in Yoda. So, like you said, he's fragile. He needs, more than anyone, a friend and a mentor to just kind of sit him down and just talk to him to, you know, kind of clarify all the issues. And that was what that was what Ben Kenobi was right up to the very end of Luke's journey. He was always very calm and very supportive, as a as a good mentor should be. And I think also you could see this even as a Force ghost. You could see the snippets of hope that Obi Wan was starting to have that he realized that Luke had the potential to do what himself and Yoda could never do, which is bring an end to the Empire. Yeah, they knew. They knew back during the prequel era there was only one who could do it. Yeah. Obviously, they didn't know how long it could take, how it would go down, but they knew there was only one. There was, there was only one. At the end of the day, there was. But maybe, maybe I suppose you could read, you could read another, um, an, another line into it, that maybe perhaps they wanted to give Luke the sense that he would be the one to bring the balance to the Force, but maybe ultimately, even with time, Obi Wan, especially in the New Hope, perhaps could, could sense the dissipating darkness within Darth Vader and the the return of sort of an Anakin that Obi-Wan once knew of someone who would start to become more consumed by his emotions as he had as he had never been as a Sith and he had basically compartmentalized everything and shown very little remorse for what he was doing especially throughout Order 66 
and yeah. what I yeah. what I especially found so interesting is maybe that Obi Wan was setting him on a path that you will bring balance to the Force by redeeming the man who will ultimately bring balance to the Force himself. Yeah, there was ultimately, ultimately there was only one who could do it, and they knew that because of that prophecy. But even at moments, Obi Wan thought the Vader was lost, and that Luke would be the new hope that was given to the galaxy. And summarizing everything that we've talked about with Return of the Jedi, I think that's why it deserves to be held in the in this position amongst the the rankings of all um all 11 films that we're talking about as a as a joint third alongside Rogue One and A New Hope is that Return of the Jedi was this ultimate conclusion to the original trilogy and an even greater conclusion to the saga of the first 6 films that we saw a saga that really brought to the end brought us to the ends of the storylines of the central characters and even though there is a sequel trilogy that continues for me the return of the jedi will be the most iconic one and the one that i personally will remember the best yeah it is ultimately the ending it's the ending and it's the it's the perfect ending and it does the film so much justice it's exactly the caliber of ending that was needed and it's this perfect this perfect montage of everything the space opera genre should be and it was really cementing together everything that the fans loved about Star Wars, everything Lucas loved to Star loved about Star Wars, and the making these films were a passion project. And now we had a chance to finally bring all of these three films together under one conclusion, and then make a prequel trilogy that only added to the many multiple dimensions of the conclusion that you can read into anyway. Exactly. You know, it's at the end of the day, it's the perfect conclusion that Star Wars fans wanted, the, the conclusion they needed, brings all these different subplots, obviously the main storyline, the character development, brings everything together into one, you know, magnificent ending, really. And and my God, it was, we could have asked from it, really. No, and and my God, it was it was certainly magnificent. But as you said, there was nothing, there was nothing more that we could ask from it. And now that we've taken a look at our next ranking of Rogue One, A New Hope, and the last and um, oh God, not the last Jedi, um, <laughs> Return of the Jedi. These films. In my eyes, personally, and um, perhaps Ryan might have a difference of opinion, but these eyes, these these films are separated by a by a hairline of a fraction. 
and there is very little that I can say to put one above the other. Very little. But I think in the name of what we are trying to do here, Ryan, it would only be fair if we did the list some justice and made maybe one or two sacrifices and between us tried to come up with how we would rank our fifth, our fourth, and our third. Yeah. So... I would personally, like you said, there's a fraction between them. It's it's a fraction. Essentially a joint third, but obviously you need a fifth place and a fourth place. So I've put in fifth place, I've got A New Hope. In fourth, Rogue One. And then third is Return of the Jedi for me. That's 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 really interesting. Do you want to talk us through a bit why you've, even though it's a, it's it really is coming down to the wire, why you have given like um, Rogue One and Return of the Jedi a little bit of an edge over A New Hope, and same for Return of the Jedi over Rogue One. So I put I put Return of the Jedi third because, like we said. Is the ending for me? It was a perfect ending. The sacrifice, Palpatine is one of my favorite characters anyway. So his kind of inclusion in that film kind of wraps it up for me, really. Also, I mentioned that I enjoyed Jabba the Hutt and that kind of story arc. Mm-hmm. It was just exciting moments throughout there. That's why I put it that high. And with Rogue One, I've put it just only just about A New Hope because it was like the start of the story in a way. Because although A New Hope started it, Rogue One started A New Hope, if you, if you get me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was the, the kind of story and the, the risk they took to go out of their way, infiltrate and Scarif, get them get the plans to the Death Star. That's what made it so important. And it was the inclusion we've mentioned when we talked about Rogue One. Even though it was really small, the inclusion of Vader and Tarkin in there, it was... I don't know, I can't... I can't really explain the the difference between them. No, it's it's such... It's so narrow, isn't it? I mean, if if I have to say... And I, I think it, I think it's, I think it's healthy if we have our differences. I think, and and to reiterate, there is there is so little difference that I can hold one above the other. In my eyes, it's I would put Return of the Jedi, then I would put A New Hope, and then I would put Rogue One. And I put A New Hope above Return of the Jedi because re- there's nothing wrong with Return of the Jedi. Return of the Return of the Jedi is flawless. It's this perfect conclusion to this perfect saga, drawing together all of these plot lines and essentially culminating in this magnificence of a space opera, building on what George Lucas set out to do in Star Wars. But I put Star Wars A New Hope above it because it's the original, because it's iconic, and it's that 
that groundbreaking technology that was used and those masterful visual effects. The introduction to such a simple but gorgeous storyline. The introduction to all of these characters, both good and bad, but whom all were loved. And what the, the effect and magnitude that this film had on shaping space operas, science fiction, the entire genre, the entire industry of film to come was stupendously unfathomable. You can't comprehend a film like this having such an effect. But my God, it has. And it's exactly the reason why myself and Ryan over so many weeks have sat down for multiple evenings recording so many hours worth of of episodes for this podcast talking about how how much we love about Star Wars but more importantly how much we love Star Wars and ultimately that love originates from all the ideas that were generated in this film and it seems after saying all of that, it seems very bitterly unfair to put Rogue One above it. But I put Rogue One above it because it was just such a welcome surprise. And it wasn't this it wasn't this story that we loved with with relying on because this was this was what scared me. This was what scared me with The Force Awakens. There was a reliance, it seemed, to get stuck in the past and draw back the characters. A plot that essentially revolved around finding Luke Skywalker. The reintroduction of, of um, Han Solo and Princess Leia. 3PRTD2 Chewbacca. All these characters we loved. And it was okay, but following on from that with Rogue One. Rogue One was this fresh take into the into the Star Wars universe but it still held such a pivotal role in shaping the plot and acting as the perfect bridge into a new hope as you said it was that perfect introduction into a new hope and ultimately it was a perfect bridge between episode 3 and episode 4 yeah it was so different, but so nostalgic at the same time. I think that's probably one of the biggest things about it. And in regards to feature films revolving Star Wars, it's the best thing that Disney have actually um, thrown out. So um, that gets held in even more high esteem. And I, and I think one pivotal element that I loved about Rogue One was this was the score. Was the score by Michael Giacchino, who um who I've talked about before, and he had such a groundbreaking job of taking this score that had been replicated across many mediums multiple times over, and taking little motifs from it, and then somehow making his own soundtrack for the film. Taking over from John Williams as a composer to a Star Wars film, that's a big ask. 
That's a really big ask. But I think he absolutely nailed it. And I think it was a very interesting take on the score and reflected as a whole how this film was such a fresh take, actually, on the Star Wars universe. Exactly. It was a perfect mix of old and new. It was. It was a perfect mix of old and new. And it wasn't too reliant on the films that had come before. And it was his own standalone thing. And even though Vader was in it, he didn't dominate. It was just tasteful, little bits of fan service. But like I said, that they didn't dominate. And that is why I think it gives sort of a little niche edge over A New Hope and the, and Return of the Jedi, despite how good those films were. And on that note, I'm going to end this episode of the podcast once again. Thank you all so much for listening. And if you haven't checked out the previous rankings, I thoroughly recommend you um, do so as well, because they're, they're equally fascinating and we've discussed some interesting, some interesting points in those too. I would like to also thank Ryan for coming on the podcast with me again and continuing these episodes. Problem, man. I'm loving it. It's it's, re- it's great it's great fun and as I said it's these these are fascinating there's there's just so much we can talk about in in terms of the Star Wars realm and it's it's obviously nice to be able to share these these passions with someone and obviously we've we've still got two very big films coming next and if you've if you followed along you can tell what those films are going to be but to clarify I'll I'll leave them as a surprise for the next episode but. Other than that, there's nothing left for me to say other than, as always, thank you so much for listening. If you have enjoyed and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please feel free to leave me a rating. That always helps me out. If you have any queries or episode suggestions, you can get in touch with my Instagram at the Cinerealm Podcast or alternatively, you can email me at cinerealmpodcast at outlook.com. Other than that, Again, to reiterate, I'd just like to say, as always, thank you all so much for listening. And I appreciate this episode is probably a little bit longer. And between me and Ryan, um, the, the Star Wars rankings are getting longer. But it's it's just because we love talking about these films so much. And I'm I'm sure for the Star Wars listeners out there, you can, you can definitely appreciate that. So thank you all so much for listening. And I will see you soon for another episode. Take care, everyone.